Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Good morning, Hillside. What a difference a week makes. That's for sure. There is an idiom in English. Uh, sing a different tune. Have you heard that? It's a radical, sudden change in one's opinion, attitude, or behavior. Something happens that changes your perspective completely. It used to be one of my mom's favorite phrases when we were growing up. You better change your tune, mister. I heard that a million times. Usually it's a much needed change. You know, the idea is that something sounds good in your head and you get stuck in a way of thinking or in a way of living uh, like you would get a song stuck in your head. Uh, But then something happens. And it has definitely happened. And you need a new tune to play. Well, I want to spend the next three weeks looking at an Old Testament prophet by the name of Habakkuk. He's a unique prophet because he doesn't speak to the people so much. Uh, This minor prophet converses with God and only God. It's a very dark time for Judah, his people. They're about to be invaded by the Babylonians. Life will be radically altered. The complete change in everything, a collapse in everything that they had known. A complete disruption of life as they had known it. Now Habakkuk is fearful, as you would imagine. He's angry and he's anxious. And he's at a loss about how God is gonna handle this. He can't figure out what God's up to. But then something happens in his interaction with God. God answers him and he literally changes his tune and I mean literally chapter 3 is a song and it turns out Habakkuk is a musician of stringed instruments and I can tell you that musicians are a unique group I lived you know with three string players and God has his handful helping this musician understand the mysteries of sovereignty. Now, Habakkuk's name is, uh, means embrace. Uh, because it, he needs special care. A big divine hug. And God does it. It's beautiful how God wraps him up. Knowing he's overwhelmed emotionally. In fact, he's a, he's a wreck. But God wraps his arms around him. And, um, and in turn, he has to wrap his arms around God. He has to embrace God, who he is, how big he is, and what God, how he works. And it's no small task. But after two chapters, he gets it. And so I actually want to begin in chapter three. I want to begin at the end of this book instead of the beginning. It's kind of different. Because I want you to see this new tune. Chapter two, Actually, chapter 3, you get verse 2 is a chorus, 
verses 3 to 15 are sort of the verses. There's three of them. You'll notice the word selah in there, sort of your stanza divisions. And then you get the bridge in verses 16 to 19, which is where I want to spend um, our time. And remember, the bridge is sort of a, uh, it introduces a new musical theme. There's a change in the key, usually the tempo. It stands out from the rest of the song, and these words definitely stand out. Now, I've only been reflecting on this for a few days. Usually I have much more time to process a series, so truth is, this is kind of raw. Uh, And I want to say two things at the beginning. First, um, this is a song that I want in my head. And in all honesty, and Habakkuk is a very honest book. Uh, I have to admit that it's not always the dominant tune in my thoughts. But the second thing I want to say, um, it's not easy to sing. As I said, I live with musicians. I live with the worship leaders always saying, hey, here's a new song. Listen to this. And when she does that, you know, my son Mike, being a musician, he's thinking of the creativity in the song. How complex is it, uh, musically speaking? I just want to know if it's theologically on and if it's singable. Is it easy to sing? Well, this song is not easy to sing. But I want to learn it. This is where I want to be. It's what I want. And you'll need to ask yourself, do I want this? What do I want? Now, we'll work all through this uh, in time, but Habakkuk has been told by God that things are going to get worse before they get better. He's struggling to compute this. In fact, in chapter 1, he uses the word crooked. Because in his mind, nothing is right Everything is wrong, out of place, and unfair. But God assures him that everything will be made right, nothing will be left to chance, and he gives him a glimpse of what that means, and it terrifies Habakkuk. But once he reflects on God's unfailing love, his intervention and deliverance of his people throughout history, I mean, he's overwhelmed. God is terrifying but he's faithful. And so this becomes a worship song uh, that faces reality very honestly. I want us to look first at uh, verse 16 in this bridge. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So this is uh, Habakkuk feeling the horror of the reality in every part of his being. Uh, What's coming, this invasion that's coming. What's happening is devastating and he knows that the lives of his people and their lifestyles are forever going to be altered. And it disorients him. And you can feel it in in this verse that he's sort of paralyzed because you can't picture life past 
the event. And so he's a wreck eternally, internally, emotionally, and physically. Now, let me just say how grateful I am for his honesty. Because I know I feel like very often um, I'm, I'm in a dream that we're in some kind of a sci-fi movie. But the truth is, this is how tunes change. This is the feeling of loss of things that I thought I wanted, I thought I needed, that I couldn't imagine living without. I'll tell you something very honestly. Um, Three weeks ago, I sat down with a financial planner He's, you know, 56 years old and saying, what, what does, you know, my future look like here? And he said, well, you know, if you do such and such, you, you, can, you can, with about a 98% success rate, retire when you're 70. Well, uh, <laughs> I shredded it. I shredded the plan. Uh, I've also taken out uh, Barry Manilow's song, Looks Like We Made It. It's not in my playlist anymore. You notice uh, he uses the heart, the lips, the legs. Uh, it's, this is literally bowels. His bowels tremble. This is a stomach ache. Okay, you probably all have that. His lips are quivering. Rottenness enters his bones. His legs tremble beneath him. Uh, it's funny. Until crisis occurs, your heart thinks a certain way, your lips say certain things, and your feet move in different directions. You know, um, when everything is going well, and you're making you know, you're making strides. You're smarter than everybody else. You're philosophical. You make your plans. You have your feelings. Your mind works a certain way. Um, you, you say things like, I think I'm gonna... This is how your lips work. Things come out of your mouth. I'm so excited about. I think I will. And then your legs... You know, move on these ideas. You're enlarging and expanding. You know, taking steps to make life work. Then all of a sudden, this happens. And your legs don't work anymore. Your mouth doesn't move so fast. And all your thoughts and plans and great thinking goes out the window. And the truth is, affluence insulates the soul. You lose touch with reality. You become self-reliant and self-sufficient. And it's time for a tune change in all of us. The church, the world, and God will stop at nothing to make people see that he is our only hope. Habakkuk has 56 verses in it. Right in the middle of it in 2.14, you read this. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is God's ultimate plan in the world, that people see him. You know, I know we've sat around as a church and as a world and as a Christian community wondering how in the world is going to see who God, how are people going to see who God is? 
God knows how to do it. And so here is this new tune, uh, this sort of key change, and it comes really in verse 17. And look at what Habakkuk says, because this is the tune change. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Uh, This is a picture of barrenness from the ground up. Terrible conditions. There's no resources now nor in the future. I mean, there's no fig to grab now and there's no blossom suggesting that in the future there will be. There's nothing. Every resource dried up. This is sort of a picture of nature not working. Things that are supposed to work a certain way and they don't work. Now, at the end of the day, he's talking about food and resources, God's most basic provision. And in an agrarian you know, economy, so this is him saying, we have nothing now and no resources for the future. So for us, it would be a little bit more of what, what, what financial resources drying up. And it's, it's him saying, we may get to this point. If it gets to that point, this is what he says in verses 18 and 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is profound text. In fact, let me give you what it looks like in sort of a chart form. So you've got this A and B and then you've got the center. And at the center of it is the sovereign Lord is my strength. And I wrote sovereign Lord in here because that's the word Adonai. And that's what it says here. Adonai Yahweh. Adonai means sovereign. I get my strength from sovereignty. I rejoice. I get my strength from God's sovereignty. And he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. So he goes immediately from shaking in his boots to this partying, from devastation to this elevation, this high place. He says, like a deer, sure-footed on difficult terrain, bounding and prancing upward on a mountain. That's the picture. Now, these are unique creatures. You've probably seen them uh, on TV for sure. They have special abilities. I want that. Because, especially in ancient times, to be up high is to be safe. The heights were a tremendous advantage. Safety, you know, they provided safety, perspective, a better vantage point. I mean, you had an upper hand if you were high up. Now, what is this vantage point? And what he's trying to say is, if I have God and nothing else, I have everything. If nothing else in the world is working, but I have God, I'm safe. 
Now, times like this reveal this kind of statement to be true, that there really is no other safety. It's also a a word that suggests hard times and dark times should push us up toward God for those of us who know him. I'm reading a book called Anti-Fragile, and the subtitle is How Things Gain from Disorder. It's written by a really, really smart guy, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Taleb. Uh, It's a New York Times bestseller. It's receiving all kinds of praise for these brilliant insights. Um, Because he says, embrace uncertainty and randomness and error because it makes us better. And so he's trying to teach us how to live an anti-fragile life. Let me tell you what he means by anti-fragile. I'll read this to you. He says, some things benefit from shocks. They thrive and grow when exposed to volatility, randomness, disorder, and stressors. They love adventure, risk, and uncertainty. Yet in spite of the ubiquity of the phenomenon, there's no word for the exact opposite of fragile. Let us call it anti-fragile. Anti-fragility is beyond resilience or robustness. The resilient resists shocks and stays the same. The anti-fragile get better. Um, so (laughs) it's very smart over the top it's not very easy read but there really is a problem with it two weeks ago I think a book like this was actually far more brilliant um, than it actually is because the truth is here there's there's nothing ultimately anti-fragile everything is fragile so take for instance your muscles if you work out you tear them down you know, uh, expose them to volatility, then your muscles grow. But eventually, muscles don't last anyway. And so at the end of the day, even if it's anti-fragile in this system, it's ultimately fragile. We're all fragile. We're all seeing that in new and real ways The only ultimate hope is in God. That's the only place, there's the only hope for anti-fragility. Faith can grow in times like these. It can get sweeter and more beautiful. Especially as I realize that hope lies only in him. And it can bring a real kind of joy nothing else can you know, I need only one thing is where this sort of begins to boil up. And when that happens, there is a kind of lightness that you feel sort of in this, like the deer prancing at the top of a mountain, which is, which is no easy terrain. But, but there's a lightness, a freedom, a simplicity, a mobility and a security when you stop pursuing what's fragile. And you notice he says in this, my high places. I've tried to apply this to myself. This is just so over, just so personalized, you know. 
even in the midst of chaos in my life, I can find new heights personally. And and we're all desperate for those right now. I'm talking about new heights of character, new heights of values and perspective, vision, even in the midst of chaos. And I can feel it happening to me. You might be feeling it happening to you. And maybe not because you chose it, because you're forced into it. There's a kind of a release of control, a clinging to God like never before, a desire for closeness, and new values like simplicity. There's playfulness. Certainly, you at home with kids are being more playful, conversant. You're talking more. Maybe you're more prayerful. I'm more prayerful. I'm actually praying more, want to pray more. You know, for those of you with kids at home, if you have older kids even, we keep saying to ourselves, how, how are we, how, where is this generation going to be 10 or 20 or 50 years from now? What are our grandkids going to be? This is an opportunity for the entire world to alter its mindset about everything when it seemed like there was no way to make any adjustments to our lives, to our behavior, to our values. We were very arrogant and thought we could change anything about ourselves. And now all of a sudden we have an opportunity to teach things and learn things. Just less arrogant. I hope you're taking advantage of that. I want that. Now you can see why he rejoices. These are incredible words. That's the reason you can have joy. Because all those things are true. I actually have discovered what's fragile. And that teaches me what is anti-fragile. That brings me great joy. I have a sovereign God who gives me strength. Uh, And you notice he says this God of my salvation. That's what he rejoices in. Um, If you go through verses 3 to 15, which we're not going to do today, you can read them. Uh, But the song reflects, just so you know, how does he get here? How does he get to this new tune? Well, verses 3 to 15 reflects on how God has delivered his people uh, throughout history. Um, And it is amazing what it teaches, how uh, he walks through God's willingness literally to stop at nothing to save his people. He uses uh, people, nations, nature, all the elements of nature. You'll see them in chapter three. Water, sea, fire, earth, sky. God moves it all on behalf of his people. And because he's sovereign, he's not only able to redeem them, but he can overpower evil. That's where his beauty comes in. And I love verse three. This is how the song begins, really. The song begins with this. You have a kid at home right now, maybe asking, where's God from? Look at this. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. So what does that mean? There's this whole song about God and his sovereignty. 
sort of starts out with God's origin. What does it mean God is from a place? I mean, God, that's where you live? And, and what are you doing there? Well, if you remember, this is a place, this is the place, when after God rescued Israel from Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea, this is where he brought them. This is, Mount, this is where Mount Sinai was located. This was the place where God had redeemed his people and now was going to change their lives completely. And God says, this is where I'm from. What's he trying to say there? He's just, God's defining himself in terms of his desire and ability to save and to deliver. I can bring you through that and I'll be right here. I'll be right here when you come through that. I'll be right here when you come through that. You say, where's God? This is where I'll be. I'll bring you through the slavery. I'll bring you past your enemies in the Red Sea. And I'll be right here to reshape your life. It's an incredible image. And I just want to say to those of you listening today, this is what you need. This is what you need today more than anything. A loving, sovereign God who can save you forever in spite of any circumstances. From yourself and from the chaos of the world. Now that's hope. That's ultimate hope. That's what it means to be anti-fragile. The Red Sea in the Old Testament is a picture of salvation. And in the New Testament, its equivalent is the cross. You say God literally stopped at nothing to redeem, even sending his own son to die on a cross. This is what you need today. And if that's not the song in your head, what Habakkuk is saying is you can change your tune. And he might be saying this, you better change your tune. And only Christ can provide that song of hope and salvation. I came across a poem uh, written by William Cowper. Uh, Cowper's a special guy in the 18th century. He was a hymn writer and English poet. And he actually wrote a song about Habakkuk 3. I thought I would read it to you because I found a lot of encouragement. It's actually called... Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after rain. In holy contemplation, we sweetly then pursue the theme of God's salvation and find it ever new. Set free from present sorrow, we cheerfully can say, even let the unknown morrow bring with it what it may. It can bring with it nothing, but he will bear us through. Who gives the lilies clothing will clothe his people too. Beneath the spreading heavens, no creature but is fed, and he who feeds the ravens will give his children bread. And then, right from Habakkuk 3, though vine nor fig, neither, 
their wanted fruit shall bear. Though all the fields should wither, nor flocks nor herds be there. Yet God the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice. For while in him confiding, I cannot but rejoice. The wonderful thing about this text is he can be trembling on the one hand and yet rising to new heights on the other. Everything can be going down, like the stock market and everything else. But ultimately I find hope and I can be going upwards if I have Christ in my life. That's my prayer for all of you watching today. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Right now, more than anything else, we need to realize you are our ultimate hope. Everything is fragile. But you will stop at nothing to save and lead your people. Take us to new heights today, Lord. New heights. In Jesus' name. Amen.